This is Bet MGM tonight. Join us for live sweats. Yes. Let's go, Kansas State. That was a big balls three. Three minutes ago. Big balls three. Instant reaction. This is an unbelievable thing for me to see. My favorite team, my true favorite team. Less mistress, more side piece. And maybe a few regrettable decisions. Oh, he's got bust written all over him. Gudikin sucks. Jordan Edison ran a 5-3-40, and he's Tristis height. I'd take him. You know what you shouldn't have done? Bet on the Wizards. Yep. Now, live from Washington, D.C., it's Ryan Horvath, Trista Crick, and Nick Ashew. Trista and Nick tonight. Pacers have a 101-100 lead over the Raptors. 55 combined points for Benedict Matherin and Pascal Siakam, Trista. 30 for Matherin, 25 for Siakam. There's still 8.35 to go in the fourth quarter of this game. Tyrese Halliburton only has four points. Benedict Matherin with 30 points and a full quarter almost to go is absolutely insane. I think that's his career high right now. I'm not, don't quote me on that, but I think that's true. I think right now he's obviously the leading scorer of of both teams. Yeah, Yeah, so you got, you got Miles Turner's got 15 points and nine rebounds in that. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is, yeah, you know what? thing about the Pacers is they, they feel like they're a year or two off, but, like, they're getting to that spot, right? They resign Siakam. They're going to probably need to add, like, another piece or so or at least just everybody kind of takes that next step on the roster as a whole. There's something there, but then there are nights where you watch them and you just go, God, they're so bad defensively, or they just... You know what I mean? Like, you know I can watch a team. You can't really put your finger on it necessarily, but you can just say something's something's missing. Like, something is missing with the Pacers, but you see a foundation that's there. Yeah, no doubt. By the way, uh, I talked about this to you at the break, but let's let's ring our uh, symbolic bell for Cade Cunningham. Ding, ding. Over, yeah. 20, over 20 and a half points for Cade. There's still seven minutes to go in the third quarter, and Cade has 25 points. Cade might put up 35, 40 points tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and that number was wild. 20 and a half. uh, Like you said, it was a very low number. It felt very low, especially with what we've seen recently from him. I I hate to have this mindset, but I do right now. I wish I took an alternate number because it just felt so low. But you don't want to get to that point, right, where you start getting greedy. The betting gods will smite you. You're like, oh, oh, you, you, well, hold on. Now you're getting greedy here. Wait a second. And then you end up just getting crushed the next night. So I'm grateful. He went over the 20 and a half. But, I mean, he's 8 of 9 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. There's 6.59 to go in the third quarter, and Cade Cunningham already has 26 points. And more importantly, Cade Cunningham has been moaning and bitching about not getting free throws not getting to the line and for a guy who has the highest like fifth highest usage rate in the NBA with at like 29% usage I think mm-hmm. he's the lowest in terms of free throw attempts per game so the very next day or the very next game after that kind of hoopla he's already gone to the line eight times tonight seven for eight so that's that's exactly what you want from Cade Cunningham and if you're the Pistons that's exactly what you want from him too but also Something for us to keep in mind, and I saw this when I was watching the Celtics play the Knicks, is they can just, anybody can just get to the rim on the Knicks right now. And I like Hartenstein, but he's allowing everybody just to get easy buckets, which is why Cade Cunningham is probably eight for nine right now from the field. So against the Knicks, if you want to take slashers to go over their point prop, that's something to take a look at. 
Yeah, the Knicks are missing Mitchell Robinson a lot, and you can see it. I mean, yeah, it's you just need every team needs that rim protector, and they just don't have it. And it's not like Julius Randle's that guy, so him coming back wouldn't make the difference. It's Mitchell Robinson that's really the big key there. And yeah, and that's, that's why when you look at this Knicks team, you say, yeah, at full strength, they could go to the Eastern Conference Finals. They've got the culture there now. They've got balance. They've got depth. They've got a lot of guys that really have stepped up in the you know the absence of certain players like Josh Hart and the way that he's played without Julius Randle. He's got 14 points and three rebounds, three assists tonight. Going to need more rebounds and assists. I'm a little worried about that, but can't hit everything. Uh, but, you know, like Dante DiVincenzo has been, I mean, he's having a career year this year with that team. But the problem is, is that these guys are, and their their usage rate is higher. Their roles are bigger right now than what it would be if Mitchell Robinson was back, if OG Ananobi was back, if, uh, you know, yeah, Mitchell Robinson was out there, and they all were fitting into those pieces. So I think that's that's the big worry that you would have where right now it becomes a big question mark for the Knicks, right? Like, you look at them and say, I don't know what this team is going to be until I can see how healthy they are. Adding Boyan Bogdanovich was, I mean, a great move for this team. Great move. But having him as a guy coming off the bench that's going to play a ma- major role for you when you have Julius Randle and when you have, you know, OG Ananobi, like, it's... It's just different. So any team that's kind of thin because of injuries, you know they're going to be limited, and that's kind of what I look right now at the at the Knicks is I just see a team that's a little bit thin, and I think that that's going to hurt them until they can get healthy again. Yeah, defensively, certainly Alec Burks and Boyan Bogdanovich do not help them. Uh, they need three-point no. shooters in order to create space for Julius Randle, so I think that will help them in the postseason when you have half-court sort of basketball. But right now... They have to just hang on because just like the Sixers, injuries are causing them to lose very meaningful and winnable games. So, yeah, they just have to figure out a time when they can get Julius Randle back, OG and OB back, and Mitchell Robinson back. But honestly, we're not sure if they're getting any of those guys back. And if you don't, I know. I mean, it's just, it's just a time to probably fade the Knicks in the first round. Yeah, I hate to I hate to agree with that, but like it's it's just tough. If you're going to be missing key players like this. It's just going to I mean the, the Pistons are shooting 52% in the game tonight. Like the Knicks pride tough. themselves on defense and you're not you're just not you're not seeing against one of the worst teams in the NBA. The Pistons are yeah, you know, almost 44% from 3. Like this is just not. Also, 28 points in the paint. Like they're getting inside like you said, right? Like they're getting to the rim. There's nobody that can really stop it. So, it kind of is where we are right now. You know, it goes back to what we said earlier, right? With the confidence level of how many teams do you really see as a true contender? And it's we can talk about the logjam in the West. We can talk about teams with potential in the Eastern Conference. But if we're being realistic, it's very few. It's very few teams that have that check all the boxes, right? And I think that's what always makes me go back to Denver. It's what always makes me go back to the Nuggets and say, all right, this is a team that clearly is focused more on, they, and they've had some of their own levels of injuries, but they're focused more on getting in the playoffs as healthy as they can and making that run then. But they've got really all the pieces that you could ask for in terms of defensively, offensively, playmakers, rebounders, rim protectors. Like, they bring all of that to the table, and it's just what makes you have so much more confidence in them than just about every other team, including guys that you know in clutch situations like a Jamal Murray or a Jokic. You put the ball in their hands, they're going to find a way to score. When we joke about the Celtics a lot, but, like, in reality, Jason Tatum, we've watched him disappear a lot in the clutch. Yeah, we have, and there's always some sort of phantom injury. I'm super, super curious how the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be in the postseason because you're talking about the fourth best net rating in the NBA. 
They've got one of the best defenses in the league, actually the second best defense right below the Minnesota Timberwolves. They have been rolling in their last you know, 10 games. Offensively, they're kind of middle of the pack, but on any given night, Donovan Mitchell can explode. Evan Mobley's mm-hmm. taken another step. Jared Allen had a legitimate all-star case to be made. And the role players on this team, like Isaac Okoro, who's been buns for years now, he's stepping up. Sam Merrill, casual fans don't even know who Sam Merrill is. He sh- I think he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league this year. Came out of absolutely nowhere. So is this a team that I can trust? Because I thought that they would give the Knicks hell, and they really didn't in the postseason last year. But they look much, much better. You know what it honestly could be if you talk about the way they were last year versus now? That was their, you know, bumps and bruises, learning experience in the playoffs, and then this is the year they take the next step. The Cavs have enough talent to compete with the Celtics. The question really just becomes, like, where are you in a seven-game series with them? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, they've got big-time length there. You've got guys that can go out there and disrupt anything at the rim and crash the boards and make things miserable for a team like Boston where if that's the Eastern Conference Finals, that's a hell of a matchup between those two teams. Yeah, I mean, and they're not going to see Boston until the Eastern Conference Finals, right? If they remain where they are as the two seed, they came kind of out of nowhere, these Cleveland Cavaliers. They lost Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and then went on a heater. They, I, I thought they were dead when those two guys went down, and they've only gotten better. Donovan Mitchell was out the other day, so that's why they lost to the Sixers, but... I mean, they've, their strength of schedule is not insane. They've got a bunch mm-hmm. of home games left. And they've kind of figured some things out where J.B. Bickerstaff honestly should get some Coach of the Year love. You know, that's a great point. He doesn't – it really is like we're talking right about Donovan Mitchell and not getting enough love for MVP. J.B. Bickerstaff, same thing for Coach of the Year. It, I, I think it's just – I don't think people are taking the Cavs seriously enough like they're not taking the Timberwolves seriously enough. Hell, I mean, I'd even argue Anthony Edwards. Why is he not more in the MVP conversation? They're the number one seed in the Western Conference right now. I mean, there's no reason why he should. J.B. Bickerstaff is 11-1 to 1 to win Coach of the Year right now. 11-1! to 1. That's, that's for crazy. a team that's second-best team in the Eastern Conference with what they've been able to do. That's There's great value in that 11-1. to 1. The problem is, if we're realistic, let's even say, if like, right, you want to throw prices out sometimes, and let's just say, all right, Let's think of it just from a realistic possibility. He's probably not going to win it, but it's insane that he's not more in the conversation. Yeah, I don't get it. He's been incredible. Nobody even is talking about it. Not not to, like, the odds are one thing, but there's no one on television talking about the Cavs. That's probably why nothing's changing. You saw, so it's important to note that the media plays a part, not just in the voting, obviously, but the push to to facilitate and to persuade voters what to do because let's be honest yeah. people don't have minds of their own they they have other things to do they have other beats to cover they have other th- stories to write or to cover you know so you write an article about why there hasn't been another guard outside of Gary Payton to win defensive player of the year since that and all of a sudden Marcus Smart wins defensive <laughs> player of the year so you know the media coverage matters quite a bit yeah, and I think it, it also depends, too, on uh, each individual voter is different. When you were out, uh, well, two weeks ago, because I was out last week, uh, we had Tarek El-Bashir from TNT on. Covers the NHL, covers the Capitals, too, but covers the NHL for TNT as well. And that's the big thing, because he's a voter. 
And that's why I asked him. I was like, so what goes into the process for you when you vote for end-of-season awards? What does it take? How long does it go? And he takes it really, really seriously, right? It's okay. The net last few weeks of the season, I'm having conversations, though, with other people, some coaches, uh, you know, people around the league to kind of get their feedback on certain players and what they've seen. But he puts in a lot of research and a lot of time with it. But in the end, that doesn't guarantee that everybody does it the same way, right? Are there some people that are already set and they're just like, I already know who my coach of the year is, right? I already know who my MVP is. I love Chris Finch. I think he's coach of the year right now, plus 250. Timberwolves have the number one seed in the Western Conference. Nothing's going to change my mind. Well, we got a lot of season left. Like I know it's only a third of the season, but that's still plenty of season left to change the perception of a lot of these players, a lot of these coaches, a lot of these teams. And I just don't, we don't know whether everybody's putting in the same type of effort that somebody like Atarik El-Bashir is to really dig down and have a true understanding about where they should vote and taking it really, really seriously. Yeah, I agree. And especially you look at the NFL award markets, and we thought pretty much all year long that, um, that like in terms of what coach of the year was going to be like, a comeback player of mm-hmm. the year as well. So... And then all of a sudden we get changes at the very last second where there's one vote that differentiates as a tiebreaker for you to win that award. And there's a lot of similarities between Mark Dagno and Chris Finch, right? One's a one seed, one's a two seed, and I think they're in a dead heat. Half a game between them, maybe even tied depending on, Mm. you know, when you're looking, right? So for Mark Dagno to be minus 130 and Chris Finch – to be plus 245 and them to be deadlocked in terms of the standings, there's value there, right? And then J.B. Bickerstaff, Mm -hmm. I know that they're not going to be the number one seed in the East. Boston has already created enough of a cushion where there's just no coming back unless they had a free fall situation. But 12 to 1 with a little media help, that's a good price right there. Let me ask you this. You let's take odds out of this because a lot of these voters aren't thinking about that. Some of them definitely aren't thinking no. about it. Who is who is your coach of the year? I'm giving you the vote right now. You get to decide, Trista. You wave your magic wand. You're deciding coach of the year right now. At this moment, who would it be for you? Great question. I think it's see, it's tough, right? It's tough because there's a lot of deserving coaches. I think it's probably Chris Finch, just because. Okay. Just because I had no. Look how bad that Rudy Gobert trade was. And Mm -hmm. everyone was saying it could be the most, the worst trade in NBA history. It was like Herschel Walker level bad trade. Mm -hmm. And they go from that, an absolute disaster, to the number one team in the West and the team that probably gives the Denver Nuggets the best fight. Boy, oh boy. It's close, but I think I would have to give it to Chris Finch. But yet at the same time, you could have said J.B. Bickerstaff. You could have named probably two or three other coaches. And I would have been like, that's also fair. Yeah, like, look at what Ty Lue has been able to do with the Clippers. I understand you have a lot of stars, but just because you have, we've seen this enough in the NBA. Just because you have talent on the roster doesn't mean that whole thing actually comes together. And it's coming together for the Clippers, but he's likely not going to win it. So it's there's been a lot of really, really good coaching jobs in the NBA this year. And I think it's that's that's going to be one of the toughest markets to figure out when it's all said and done. It's BetMGM tonight. 
Let the conversation continue with BetMGM tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Nick Ashew, Trista Crick. There she is. There you are. You know, I'll tell you what. When you when you take a little of that, like once we get to the end of football season, right? You kind of have that time. Everybody needs like this is one in our industry. Everybody kind of just you take a little breath, kind of step back for a little bit, get ready for March Madness. That first, the first coming like first couple hours coming back on a show, you realize you're like, oh man, like it's uh, you you, you could pay attention as much as you want to stuff, but there's always a few things where you just realize. Damn, I totally missed this. I saw this tweet from LeBron. I Listen, Trista, I get that it's his son. I get that it's Bronny. But this constant, like, stump speech for he's better than this guy and this guy and this guy, you can see what he's doing already, can't you? Like, I guess he's been doing this over the last couple of days. I saw, like, something brief on it. Scott just texted us. And it's like, is this, this is the, hey, if somebody wants me to play for them next year, I'm going to have Bronny come out after a year. Somebody better draft. Like, it just, I don't care that he's not good enough to be a true NBA player. He's going to get drafted, and a team is going to play him because he's Bronny James. Here we are again. He's doing it just like he did years ago with, uh, what's his name with the Heat? And they, they drafted, from UConn. Um, who was it? God, come on. I know, I know we know this. Um, he said, if somebody doesn't draft this guy, they'd be crazy. The Heat drafted him, and then he signed back with the Cavs again. Oh, Mike um, Miller? No, not Mike Miller. No, 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 no. They drafted him out of UConn. Um, uh, I can't think of who it is. If somebody can think of who it is, put it in the chat. The point is, when LeBron campaigns for something, he makes things happen. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care that you don't think Bronny James is going to be an NBA player. He will be because LeBron James is his dad. It's a guarantee. And I love how LeBron was like, can you guys just leave Le- like Bronny alone? Can you just let a kid be a kid? I'm sorry, uh, you're literally saying that he could start for the L.A. Lakers right now and get more minutes <laughs> than some of the guys on your team. So, no, we can't allow Bronny to just be a kid because the discourse around Bronny is that he's good enough to play for one of the most valuable franchises in all of sports. No, we cannot. You're throwing D'Angelo Russell under the bus, a guy who is the number two overall pick in the NBA draft, for a kid who's not even on the mock draft board right now. And by no. the way, D'Angelo Russell's playing well. He's been playing well recently for them, too. So it's not like he's been... Look, I understand there is a narrative around D'Angelo Russell, whether it's maturity or consistency or whatever the case is, but he's played really well for the Lakers recently. And taking the over on his PRA recently has been a, a great, great, uh, profitable bet to make. But yeah, it, it's... I think what people need to understand is that it's more than just this guy is good because blank. There's so much more that goes on behind the scenes. And when it involves LeBron James, he gets what he wants done. And it's just as it's just as simple as that. So, yeah, I saw that tweet. And I guess he's been doing this for a little bit. And I was like, this is get ready because here we go. It's, it's just going to get started. Really? And the Lakers reportedly. Yeah. What's that? Oh, go ahead. You can keep I'll I'll, I'll save this for um, after this Laker comment. No, all I was going to say was there's reports the Lakers are considering drafting Bronny James to make LeBron happy. So, like, it's that simple, that's, right? Like, that's, that, that's, that's, all, that's all that they have to do. By the way, thank you, Dylan. Uh, Shabazz Napier was the guy that LeBron said teams would be crazy not to draft him. The Heat drafted him. LeBron then left to go back to Cleveland in free agency. So, he gets what he wants, even if he doesn't stay with that team. They'll do it just in case. 
the best. I was just scrolling through uh, BetMGM and some of the other domestics to look at Rookie of the Year. I don't know if you've looked at mm-hmm. Rookie of the Year recently, but uh, Victor Wembanyama is now minus 750 to win the award. Yeah. It was just yeah. pretty dead heat race. Chet Holmgren is now plus 550 to win it. And Victor's been insane the last, like, month and a half. He had that first, like, five, 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 five. So it was five assists, uh, yep. five steals, five blocks, five points, five rebounds. And I think that actually might have moved the line because, boy, oh, boy. I just saw this when you were talking. I'm like, I did not know. And maybe it's because I've been off the last two weeks and I haven't been incessantly checking rookie of the year. But Vic- Victor Wembanyama minus 750. That's stunning. And, I mean, look at what Chet's done just this month alone, right? Like, he's averaging 19 points a game, uh, eight rebounds, a couple of assists, three blocks a game. He put up 29 and 25 over the last two games. I mean, he's in any other race, it's at least close. If not, he's the favorite to win Rookie of the Year. But when you're talking about what Victor Wembanyama can do and the type of player that he is, and also, you got to remember, too, right, like, we talk about the narratives that involve these awards. If you're looking at Rookie of the Year, the narrative around Victor Wembanyama was this guy's a freak. Uh, he's an alien. We've never seen anything like him. It's amazing what he can do given the way that he's built. I mean, the guy looks like he was supposed to be six seven, and he was just stretched out to seven foot four. And it's just like you watch him play, and it makes no sense. He's sitting out there, you know, doing the sham god dribble around guys, and he's seven foot four. So you know, it's he's lived up to so far, very early on, the expectations that were placed on him. So Chet Holmgren didn't have the same level of hype, so there's just not the same spotlight on him. And it's just, it's going to be impossible if we're being realistic. It's impossible for Chet Holmgren to win Rookie of the Year as long as Victor Wembanyama. They could have the same numbers. Wemby's winning the award. Yeah, no, you're right, I think. And there was a lot of hype around Wemby in the first place. And then he kind of started off, not slow, but he was turning the ball over a lot. He was inconsistent in terms of his defense. And now mm-hmm. you look at him and he has, I think, the 10th most blocks in the NBA right now just as a rookie. Yeah. Wembenyama every game over on blocks. Just do it. It hits like 70% of the time now. It's just they keep setting it at two and a half and just keep taking the over. He'll go over it almost, you know, it feels like every single time. But, yeah, you know, it was good, though, in some ways. It's like the best time for – you know, anybody to kind of slow down and step back after the Super Bowl is literally after the Super Bowl because you got All-Star Weekend. But it's like, so we haven't even had a chance to, like, catch up on a lot of that. The dunk contest was trash. Um, I'm really sad that it's gotten to this bad. I don't know if there's anything that we can do to save it, but I watched a few minutes of it and just said, I'm, I'm not interested in it anymore. Like, I, I just can't be. The All-Star game is what it is, and I saw people putting highlights out there of, you know, like, All-Star games back in, I don't know, it was like, oh... Can't even remember what it was. It was probably like early 2000s. Like, Stephon Marbury was out there for the Nets. And and it was a game that came down to, like, the last minute of the game. I just don't know if we're ever going to get any of that kind of stuff anymore. Everybody wants to make all these other extra, basically, exhibition games so competitive. But, like, realistically, you know what? I watched it casually, T. I was off, and I just wanted to have some NBA around. I bet on MVP for the game. I really thought SGA was going to win it. If West won, he had a great game. I bet... uh, Tyrese Halliburton, and quite frankly, if Dame hadn't had the game he had, Halliburton was next in line. But, like, that was kind of it. It's just kind of like it's it's a point now where I think every sports fan, that's like your step back is like NBA All-Star Weekend where it's casual, it's fun, and you just leave it, leave it at that. Yeah, dude, and uh, you make fun of it. 
and you tweet about it and you talk about <laughs> the dunk contest and how bad that is and the rising stars and how bad that is. But the Sabrina versus Steph three-point shooting contest was yeah. my favorite thing. Yes. That was the most creative. Uh, I think that was the most unique and really the most competitive too, right? I mean, I think there was something about it that we didn't really have uh, with, with, with any other event. So, you know, but... Oh, you've been, have you, did you actually redo the bathroom at your, at your mom's house? I know you said you've been doing Mrs. Fix-It stuff again. I feel like you have gotten to the point now where, like, you need to have your own YouTube channel for, like, rebuilding stuff. You've gone from, like, never doing anything to now all this stuff out there in Portland. You're just, like, you're completely redoing an entire house, basically. Yeah, and everybody's like, Trista, do you think this might be a money pit? And to that I say no, honestly. I, I don't. I mean, the, the amount of work that's being done has been needing to get done for close to 30 years now. We're just backloading it now and getting this thing up to code. So this is what happened. So I go in, and we've got plans and errands scheduled to do around the house that needed to be done anyway. And we've got this guy who's awesome, Alex, who I met because he's a manager at a local hardware store. But he's actually a, a general contractor and a plumber by trade. He just moved from, like, Las Vegas or something to Portland. So he's my guy now. Me and Alex are like this. Alex goes down, mm -hmm. sees why there's leaking coming from the bathroom, down into the basement closet. He can – he literally breaks apart the particle board in the downstairs basement closet with his two hands. He says, yeah, <laughs> there's mold down there. Yeah, it's soaked down there. I'm like, well, why? We have new plumbing that we put in last summer. What's going on? He's like, all right, take this this bucket and, and put it against the wall. Turn the shower on and use it against the wall. Turns out that the walls of the shower uh, were not used – well, I guess whatever materials that we used back in whatever, 1995 or 2001, whatever it was, um, are not actually holding water. They're, they're permeating the walls. And he's like, yeah, this whole thing needs to come out. And uh, so now he has ripped out the entire walls of the bathroom, put a new valve system in, put the, the new shower surround in, put new trim in, had to frame the whole thing. And he opens it up. And he sends us photos. I'll send it to you at the break, Ashu. There's black mm -hmm. mold in the beams Ugh. of the wall. And he said, I've never Ugh. seen plumbing like this in my life. It's just floating pipes. There's no casing or box around them to hold them in place. So this thing could have gotten dicey quite fast. Of course, I had to convince my mom that it was necessary. She was like, can't we just do some, like, quick fixes? I don't know. Put a Band-Aid on it. You can go back to work. Go back to D.C. Don't <laughs> no. have to extend your flight. And I'm like, no, definitely not. And once he got in there, yes, indeed, we did need to do it. So it's we're close to done. He is working as we speak right now. I got him a sandwich from Jersey Jer Jersey Mike's, Jer Jer whatever it is. And uh, he's Jersey continuing Mike. to oh, keep love it rolling. Jersey Mike's, yeah. He's been there since uh, about 8 a.m. this morning. God, I'll tell you what. First thing, you got to have a guy. You got to have somebody that you can trust that's going to do great work for you, whatever that job is. Sometimes it's specifically electrical. Sometimes it's every single thing. But you never know what's going on behind the walls. And when you talk about mold, <laughs> the experience that I've had with mold and mold poisoning, yeah, you don't want to mess with that mold at all, dude. Like, not at all. And you just never know. And my mom's like, well, don't you think that probably everyone's bathroom walls behind the wall are moldy because, you know, it's shower? And I go, no, I don't think that. <laughs> I think you think that because it's normal for 
us to have mold, but it is not normal for everyone else to have mold. <laughs> I'm living in the twilight zone. I know, I know, because I feel like you just had this last summer. You were dealing with something like this last. I know it was like not the yes. same spot in the house, Basement. but it was like a similar situation, and you're back there again dealing with it. Yeah, it's uh, you know, like you think you might get a vacation, and I'm not going anywhere, mm -hmm. baby. I'm gonna get this house all the way up to code. I'm getting this thing back to where it is pristine, where I can go there mm -hmm. and there are no no bugaboo issues. I've got a flight credit for my trip to France. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna book like eight trips to Portland with that flight credit, that good old like two thousand dollar flight credit. That's like eight eight trips to Portland to just fix things. Now, this is the house you grew up in, though, right? Yes. It's the house I grew up in. Okay. I've lived there since so, 1992. So is there – there's a level of probably nostalgia, though. Go Like, I – so I oh, like yeah. – I mean, I like going back home, visiting my family. Like, it's – you know, to me, it's it's cool because it's, like – it's the house that I was in from, like, sixth grade on. There's st So, like, to me, I think of, like, when I was a kid and did this. Like, there's a level of nostalgia there. I feel like there's got to still be that, even though you've got to do – help out with this stuff. There's probably still that level of, like, you can kind of – you know, you can kind of just, like, decompress. You go back home. I don't care how old you are. Everybody, as long as you obviously have – some people don't have good, you know, relationships with their parents, and that's a different situation. But if you have a good relationship with your parents, going back home in any way and just kind of having that time to just – disconnect i know it's not a vacation but i'm sure there was probably a level of like okay you could chill for a little bit after the super bowl yeah we watched uh what's her name griselda blanco's documentary a uh, cocaine oh. cowboys 2 me and yeah. my mom watched yes. that we watched also griselda the scripted you know like thing yes. with uh what's her name sofia vergara but we watched the cocaine oh, cowboys man. as well which is all about her and her relationship with this yes. guy who grew up in brookfield oakland and like how he became one of the largest distributors of cocaine so we've been hanging out we've been doing stuff but there is there's no way i'm i'm letting go of this house i'm fully committed now i'm not selling it we're not selling it we're gonna get this thing all the way up and portland as a as a community is one of the biggest like ADU extra housing units on the property. We have a corner mm -hmm. lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna put like four or five different uh, apartments on that lot if I can. I tell you what, Ashley, <laughs> we're gonna be generating some passive income uh, before there this whole go. thing is done. There you go. You're gonna be you're gonna be a landlord, and you're gonna just be building up as much property, build some tiny homes on the property, and just put them all around there. That's all yes. you gotta do. So, by the way, exactly. By the way, that Sophia Vergara was awesome in that show. I watched it with my wife. So good. It is. She's scary as hell too. Like she she plays the part well. Where you're just like, damn. Like it's it is really it's a really really good show. It's funny. You and I are on the same wavelength when it comes to shows like that because I love that kind of stuff too. So, we actually watch a lot of similar shows, I feel like. We do. Where there's one like you've watched, like, oh, yeah. I watch that too. We're like, yeah, we we we're definitely on like the same page when it comes to those kind of things. But, you know what? And I'll be honest with you too. You know what's kind of nice? To just be able to watch a show and not a game every single night. I'm okay with that. Like oh, I think yeah. people ask me this all the time. They're like, don't you get don't you just love, you know, do you get tired of sports? I'm like, I don't get tired of sports, but I do sometimes need to disconnect and just watch a show so I can still enjoy the NBA and I can still enjoy the NFL. And that show right there, that's one of them without question. So, yeah, you and I are definitely on the same same wavelength when it comes to that. It's BetMGM Tonight. Let the conversation continue with BetMGM Tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM.
And once a day, you can play the BetMGM free-to-play BetMGM Fast Break for a chance to win daily prizes. You play as a point guard and choose the pass to Kevin Garnett, maybe Jalen Rose. You can take it yourself for a dunk. You score, you win a prize. It's right at the top, right at the promotions tab, wherever you, of course, uh, decide that you want to use BetMGM, the website, the app, maybe both, probably both. That's probably the best choice. And you can do all of those things, even when the NFL's done. There's going to be lots of other fun things uh, that you can use through BetMGM. And then, of course, we got March Madness coming up. We got the NBA playoffs coming up soon. Are you sweating anything right now, T? Because I'm looking here, speaking of the NBA, and I'm seeing Josh Hart at six rebounds and six assists, and I have over 13 and a half, and there's a minute 23 to go in the fourth quarter of this game, and it's a one-point game. Damn it, I'm going to be sweating this and praying for overtime, I think, at this point. Yeah, I'm sweating a couple of things. One, I've got Detroit plus 12. There is a minute and 42 seconds left to go. So, and they're only down one. They could actually beat the Knicks yeah. today. I, I thought about taking them yes. on the money line. The Cade hit already, and we need the under 233 and a half. So I'm sweating out no overtime because it's 109, 109, 110. New York just blocked Detroit. So I'm hoping that we can just get out of here. It was plus 350 for Cade over 20 and a half, Pistons plus 12 and under 233 and a half. So. Yeah, I'm sweating that out uh, right at the second, and then I, and then the I've got that Memphis game that looks like it's dead, so I'm probably not gonna win that one. Did you? You had Memphis to cover, right? Plus two, but they're down by twenty one. Okay. Yeah, they're down right twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toronto yeah, ends up Williams beating Indiana, by the way. See, and that's that goes back to what I said before about the Pacers, right? Like, there's something yep. there that you really like, but there's also something missing. And I don't yep. – like, I don't – can you put a finger on it? Like, I feel like I can't figure out what it is other than maybe it's just maturity with that team. They just need to win more, maybe be a better defensive team. But, like, you see something there. But then there's nights like this where they lose to a team like Toronto and they give up 130 points. Right. It, I think what it is is defensively they are just – awful if you look at them defensive rating wise they're 26th and then you look at a team like toronto toronto's like the ninth what like 20th 20th 19th offense in the league so they're not a good offense at all and you just allowed toronto to put up 130 points on your dome piece at home so that really is the issue for me is their perimeter defense isn't good their interior Mm -hmm. defense isn't good miles turner is kind of the only big they have they don't have anyone really to stop anybody. Tyrese Halberton's not a great defender. Mathurin's not a great defender. It's really just Pascal Siakam, and he's kind of touch and go. It's all about defense for them, man. All about defense. Uh, Josh Hart is now up to seven rebounds and six assists. I need over 13 and a half. That adds up to 13. We got 58 seconds to go. I am sweating this out. I am not happy about it. Cade Cunningham no. made things easy for me, which means this is always how it goes, right? You get one where you go, man, I should have taken the alternate number. That was an easy over. And then there's always the betting gods balancing it out for you, where you go the other way around, and you're like, oh, my God, this is this is going to be a sweat the rest of the way. So I need one more rebound or assist from Josh Hart, damn it. Yeah, I know, and it's the game's almost over. Man, you got what? I know. 58 I know. seconds left to go. Timeout called. Yeah. However... Yeah. However, Josh Hart can get an assist. They've got the ball. Knicks have the ball. It's true. So I'm hoping just rack up that assist, get me to 14. We're over 13 and a half. I'm good. I'm happy. Everything's fine. We got a uh, Heat and Kings set to tip off at 10, 10 Eastern as well. So 
there will be that. Uh, we can get back to a little uh, change my mind on a Monday, Scott. You wanna you wanna try and change our minds with a couple other things? Maybe this time you won't be so won't be so choppy with a different microphone. I would love to, and hopefully everything sounds a little bit better. My apologies. We move on. Some bonus change my mind on a Monday. Trista, start with you. Tatum or Giannis? Jason Tatum plus fourteen hundred. Giannis at thirty three hundred to win the MVP is actually a better bet than Chet at five to one for Rookie of the Year, despite mm. the odds discrepancy. Change my mind. Mm. Ooh. I think I'd still have to go Chet. Anything can happen. You've got OKC in the playoff race. San Antonio is going to be tanking down the stretch. I don't think they're going to be winning games, even though Wemby wants to win every single one. Even when he had that five-by-five, five, he was like, I really don't care because I want us to win more games. And I just don't see anybody else but Jokic winning it. And Tatum, he has his other teammates, like Kristaps Porzingis, being like, oh, yeah, Tatum could take more shots and be the MVP, but he's just a really good teammate. I don't see him winning it. So... Oh, yeah, I have to go with Chet plus 500. This is a great question. As I hold on one second, guys, wait. Game's wrapping up here. I am going to lose by the hook. Josh Hart is going to oh, kill me by the hook. Rough. Damn it. 2.8 seconds to go. Knicks are up one, unless a magical miracle. Nope, nope. He's got seven rebounds and six assists. Damn it. All right. I'm going to try and just ignore that. We're going to move on. Musa. Uh, all right, here's the thing. I'm going to, you know, it's right. It's like Cade made it so easy, and now I'm sitting here going, damn it, of course. And you know what happens every single time? We worry about the losses and think about the losses more every single time. That being said, all right, Giannis at 33-1, to 1, I would cross off. I don't think he's winning it no matter what, so I would have to take him out of it completely. So that leaves me with Tatum to win MVP or Chet to win Rookie of the Year. Now, I'm with you, Trista, in the sense that, like, anything could happen. And Chet Holmgren deserves more credit because he is on a playoff team. The problem is that doesn't really matter for Rookie of the Year, and voters normally don't no. put, take that into consideration. I think the hardest thing that Chet Holmgren has to deal with and really fight against is the narrative and the hype and the spotlight on Victor Wembenyama, even though in a lot of ways they're similar players. Now, would I take Wembenyama over Chet? Yes, I would. But Chet Holmgren is a similar player in that sense. Also, the very skinny look like they should be 6'7", and they've been stretched out to over 7 feet tall. But I, I just don't see how Chet Holmgren is going to overcome that, overcome the hype and the narrative around Victor Wembenyama. So if I had to lean on this, I would lean taking Jason Tatum to win MVP over Chet Holmgren as a better bet because the Boston Celtics have a very good chance of finishing with the best record in the NBA, which would at least help Jason Tatum. Now, would I feel good about that bet? No, I wouldn't, because I do think Jokic is going to likely win this one now, especially with Embiid out of the race. But we've seen this before, where the MVP race has come down the last third of the season, another straw poll comes out, and then all of a sudden people start changing their minds on where they're voting. The voting doesn't finish up until the end of the season. So there's always a chance that late in the year, Jason Tatum goes on a tear, and Nikola Jokic is sitting out the last few games of the regular season because Denver wants to be healthy for the playoffs, and that makes a difference with enough votes. Do I think that's likely? No, but there's a reason why we're talking 14-1 to 1 versus you know Jokic at minus 150 to win the, win the MVP. So if I had to lean one of those... I would go with the Tatum to win MVP, a better bet than Chet to win Rookie of the Year. 
but that's not an easy that's a that is probably one of the toughest questions I think we've had so far this one might be a little easier for you Nick not change my mind with a straw poll but change my mind on a Monday without Joel Embiid Philadelphia cannot win a playoff series Nick change my mind no, they can't. No, they they barely could win playoff series with him. So I I mean I, I do love Nick Nurse. He's a major upgrade as as a head coach over Doc Rivers. I think without question. And Tyrese Maxey has been phenomenal this year. He's been an MVP. But the reality of it is the Sixers go as far as Joel Embiid could take them. And he's somebody that this year before he got hurt was having a better year than last year when he was MVP. That was going to be the difference. I do think that when they're at full strength and when they have Joel Embiid, they are a better team. Team, specifically, than where they were last year. If Harden was playing like he was with the Clippers now, with Philadelphia, and everything was clicking, and you know there wasn't any of the butting heads with Doc Rivers or any of that, maybe talking about a different story here if Embiid was out. The reality of this is, though, Joel Embiid is by far and away the best player on that team and one of the most dominant bigs that we've ever seen in the NBA. And it's just going to be insanely difficult for that team, I think, to get through. Because right now, listen, I mean, uh, we talked about it earlier. I really like this Cavs team. I mean, if it's, let's say, there's a first-round matchup, somehow it ends up where it's like the Sixers fall to sixth, and it's like a 3-6 matchup for Cavs and Sixers if Embiid's still out. Cavs are winning that series. So it's going to be just, it's too difficult for them to go through in a seven-game series without Joel Embiid. Let me ask you this, though, Nick. So say mm-hmm. it's the Knicks without OG Ananobi, Julius well, Randle, and Mitchell Robinson versus the Sixers <laughs> without Joel Embiid. Because right now, that's what it looks like. If the playoffs were to start today, the Knicks would take on the Sixers. So say the playoffs start today and these rosters are what they are. Who are you yeah. giving the nod to? My heart tells me Knicks because I want it to be the Knicks. But I really do. I think that's good. I think that series goes the distance. I would take the Knicks in seven games in that series. But they beat the Pistons by two tonight, and I'm a little concerned with just what this team looks like. They're just not as good defensively now as as where they were. Uh, I I think the question becomes like who locks down Tyrese Maxey on the Knicks? Like that's really what it is. If you don't have OG Ananobi, like you said, if it's the rosters where they are now, you're missing a, a big defensive piece in OG there. So you know if you could like, have the mismatch and put him on Tyrese Maxey, that's a different story. If it's this. The thing that I like about the Knicks, though, is that they do have guys that have stepped up. They do have that depth. They do have players that, when given bigger roles, have played really well. And I think they're deeper than the Sixers. And the problem is, though, we're seeing some some cracks now. Again, this this Pistons game tonight, they just won by two. Like, that's that's concerning to me. I think it goes seven. I think the Knicks win that series, but it ain't pretty. It's not pretty. That's the only way that the Sixers can win a playoff series without Embiid is if they play a team like the Knicks who has nobody on it too. It has to be because they're Josh injury Hart, Josh Hart went over! Josh Hart went over! Did he did it! He finished with an eighth rebound! He ha- yes! <laughs> Out of nowhere! He finished with eight rebounds and six assists. Over 13 and a half. Ding, ding! Let's wow. go! That's how you start off on Monday. Woo! That's a good beat right there. Congratulations. I can't believe it! Yeah, I could tell that it was Josh Hart related because the elation on your face. You started to sweat a little bit, literally, the sweat chamber. Ashley's got a little perspiration on the hairline with Josh Hart not rebounding the basketball. He did that with like two seconds left to go, right? It it had to have been. There was like, yeah, there was 2.8 seconds to go or something along those lines, I think is what it was. And he ended up grabbing the last rebound. So listen, in the end, 
We take the wins, right? That's all the that Okay, so Scott says crazy finish. I didn't have this one on. Scott's going to send the link during the break so we can figure out what happened. Jalen Brunson finished with 35 points, 12 assists. Cade Cunningham, 32, 8 assists, 5 rebounds. Knicks win 113-111 over the Pistons in a sweat. Ding, ding, ding. But you also, ding, ding, Pistons cover for you. Parlay. First parlay go. hits. There you go. It's BetMGM tonight.